Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. into our discussion because I'm so excited for you to meet Arno. We are going to be talking today about how you can motivate your market to buy a newly launched product or service without totally breaking the bank or depleting all of your resources that you need for growth. Uh, so this conversation is about how to approach go-to-market in a way that is going to really align objectives across your organization, reduce risk, and just create a big success for you. So Arno has a really successful framework that he's going to share, as well as a detailed case study of how he applied it. So Arno Barube, he's a seasoned product marketer with tons of experience in all sorts of different facets of the product marketing world. Uh, he's worked with companies like Sling, most recently Zillow, and his secret sauce is really focused on data-driven marketing and creative solutions that are fresh and forward-thinking and elegant all at the same time. So I cannot wait for you to learn from him. Arno, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And I hand the reins over to you. Thank you so much, Georgina. <laughs> thanks for the intro and thanks Pragmatic Institute for hosting. I'm excited to share. Let's progress through here. As she mentioned, my name is Arno Beirube, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Zillow currently. And a little bit about me before we get into the talk. So uh, my name is spelled, you know, it's a French name, so it's spelled a little funny, but it's pronounced Arno. This map here is kind of my journey was born in Quebec. So that's where the French name comes from. I grew up in the Los Angeles area through undergrad. And then right out, out of undergrad, I moved to Chicago and I was there for just about a decade, got my MBA at the tail end of that, and then uh, moved to Colorado. And I've been in Denver the last five years. My family, so bottom left is a picture of myself with my parents and my siblings. And then bottom middle is my partner and our two children and our puppy Leaf. Uh, that's us on a hike here in Colorado. And then my hobbies. So top right, I, I love construction, kind of renovations. And this was a this was our house that we renovated kind of through the whole pandemic, basically, and just finished about six months ago. So that was exciting. And then uh, avid skier. So that's this is a picture of myself and my son skiing here in Colorado. And then when I moved to Chicago, I fell in love with just delicious beer. So these are two beer brand, beer, uh, beers that I are my favorites from Chicago. So that's me, Arno. Good to meet you all in this conversation. So what you all signed up for, um, we're going to talk through four, four things. One, a framework for connecting business objectives to all the way down to marketing executions. 
Two, how to use research to size, position, name your products or features. Three, a four-phased go-to-market approach to prove marketing value, reduce risk. So that's kind of the meat, um, what I'm really hoping to spend a good amount of time on. And then bonus, applying the same methodology to create a product marketing function at your organization. So excited to take you through these four things. And we're going to use, as Georgina mentioned, we're going to have a more of a case study to kind of walk us through those four points. Um, this is an unbranded case study <laughs> and it's watch party. So when, when I launched, um, when I was the, the product marketing manager launching a huge new initiative called watch party. And again, this will be what we're going to, the meat of it will be in that phased go to marketing approach, go to market approach. And yeah, I, yes, I think it's just a good case study. I know I'm currently a product marketer at Zillow, but this, this felt like the right case study to kind of take us through these four questions. Okay, so before um, getting into it, just some context and why Watch Party was prioritized, why why we felt it was important at the at the business from a business standpoint. This is 2020. We all know 2020 as the year of COVID, the year of stay at home, and here in Denver, like the city was just completely quiet. It was very strange. And then you know, Watch Party obviously allowed people to interact in a way where when they're stuck at home, they're still able to to have experiences with other people. So this is a quick snapshot of a timeline. June 2020, just basically three months after big lockdowns for COVID, Watch Party at a business level was prioritized. And I took on Watch Party, uh, importantly, just for the org, org structure. There was no product marketing function at, my, at the business I was working at. So I was on the brand team and I took it on as, as a large campaign. But as you'll see kind of in that, as as I move down and as we're going to go through the four points, um, there was a product marketing function formalized at the end of this with two headcount approved. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. But so June 2020 prioritized by September 2020, we had launched our phase one and phase two. And then by December 2020, we did our really big, broad phase four TV spot. So we'll get into those phases a little bit more. But it's, you know, the go to market that we're going to go over kind of covers six, six months of, of timeline. Okay, so with that context in mind, number one of the four things that you signed up for, a framework for connecting business objectives to marketing executions. This is big picture approach, or sometimes called a big picture framework. You can, you can Google this and you'll see something similar to this. This is my little bit of a twist on the big picture framework. But basically, it's it's a way to first, you know, you start on the way left and you you start with a business objective and then you can get marketing objective kind of tied together. And then you can progress into your strategy, your STP segment target position. So that's your marketing strategy, getting into who this audience is, what the, you know, what the product really is valued to them. And then you get all into your executions, your four Ps. Notice, you know, four Ps, these aren't the the traditional four Ps. They're kind of tailored to a tech company, pricing and offers, user journeys, promotion and comms, and website. That's just my own flavor on the four Ps as I'm launching, going to market in, in a tech-driven organization. So this is just a big picture I like to keep in my brain as I'm moving through a go-to-market. The messy reality, I like to just have this quick slide. It's never linear like this. It seems like, hey, do you do these objectives, you do your strategy, you go to execute. It's never like that. You're 
when you're thinking about objectives, you're already jumping to execution and thinking like, how much is this thing going to cost? Is it going to actually be worth it? You're doing your marketing objectives, but you're already segmenting and targeting. So all this stuff kind of intertwines, but I think keeping this framework in your head allows you as these things are swirling, especially early on in a go-to-market, you can slot them into the right places and, and keep your brain organized a little bit. So this is, again, connecting business objective all the way down to execution. And just as an example, as we're talking through Watch Party, the business objectives, there are three, and business objectives are always super simple and kind of ladder up to, to top line business initiatives. So we wanted to create a differentiating feature. We were thought this would drive retention and potentially new activations. Marketing objectives drive awareness among existing users, upsell guests to sign up, drive incremental signups. So those are tied pretty closely together, but marketing is, is really like, how, what are the objectives that we will actually be able to drive in the marketing function? Okay, so that, that was number one um, that we're going through today. Number two, how to use research to size, position, and name your products or features. Okay, so this is the summary, kind of a summary I create, I like to create after, so super important to get really close with your consumer insights team, especially at the start of a new initiative. And I always like to try and pull, you know, you might get a report coming back from your consumer insights team. How do you visualize it? So I like to have a slide that pulls key, key information into some visualization that helps digest that consumer insights research. But we got a few things right off the bat from this research. So the top two charts really showed us that there was going to be interest in, in this co-viewing experience and that people would be doing it frequently. So basically those two charts are like, yes, we should prioritize watch party. Then we got into, okay, you know, we are, we were a live TV brand. What types of content would people be interested in watching? And then, you know, what's the actual experience? How many, how many people would need to be in a watch party? So how big should we make this thing? And is it going to be audio only text, video chat, video chat really won out. And then the last piece here was this idea of a relationship. So co-viewing, there's two people involved. What's the um, relationship of the two people? And so these top two boxes, it was really uh, the, the co-viewer would be either friend to friend or parent to child. And um, and you'll see those start to come to life when, when we get into creative a little bit later. But these all these consumer insights allowed us to prioritize Watch Party and then to start thinking about the personas and to start thinking about how we're actually going to go to market for this thing and position it. And then I just wanted to throw a quick slide here. You can actually take that and, and create some personas. And, and these were just very simple, very rudimentary, like four quick hits. What are these, you know, host, the, the host to friend, the host to child relationship. And then what are the goals for those personas? And then lastly, from your consumer insights research, I mean, there's a lot to grab from consumer insights. You should really spend a lot of time with it. But in terms of just this talk, trying to get verbatims and actually get into what do we hear from our customers? What are they talking about when they think about Watch Party? And so, you know, we grabbed things like nice to watch together when we don't live close to each other, um, to enjoy a shared experience watching the same video and talking about it, connecting with family, to appreciate watching TV together, even though we weren't able to be physically together. So that last, you know, that one in the middle there, I felt really that was COVID. <laughs> that was our stay at home order. And so you can take those verbatims, those insights and, and create positioning. And the primary insights we were really focused on for our positioning was 
from those verbatims. Like we needed a nail connection. We need to know that shared experience, closing distances. So from that, we, we created our top reasons to believe, RTBs, um, sometimes CVPs, depending how you talk about it in the org. But what are the top things about Watch Party that you're solving for the customer? So we were the only brand that least a connected with live TV. Everyone was welcome. So that was a concern with our consumer insights is that you know people would have to pay, but everyone was welcome to join. Starting is easy. So that was also a concern is this just seemed complicated. So we tried to kind of hit that right away. And then for longer form content, we got into um, video chatting. And again, that was from the consumer insights research that video chat was an important feature. So with those, we went and did our naming and tagline research, which I, I don't have time to get into today, but there's good frameworks that, that consumer insights teams can use to, you know, we threw like, 30 names and 30 taglines at them. And they helped us sort through which, which actually would land best with our customers. And it was kind of funny, you know, the, the code name internally, it was called watch party and that's the name that ended up sticking, but the tagline was definitely not um, what we thought it was going to be, but you know, we landed on something really good TV together from anywhere. I love that. And so again, taking all of the consumer insights and, and and the verbatims and then turning it into um, your positioning, your name, your tagline, what this what this feature is going to be all about. Take a beat. It's important. This this was uh, a few years back, but I've recently read Obviously Awesome. If you haven't read that before, it's a great it gives a great framework to do exactly this. But, it you know, you get an, a, a messaging framework that's a little bit crisper and 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 show, you know, connects insights to RTVs a little bit better. So just a, a small plug for a different uh, a different book if you're interested in, in this particular bit of the go-to-market. Okay, so that gets us through one, that framework, two, consumer insights, three, let's get into what is this four-phased go-to-market approach for proving marketing value and reducing risk. All right, so we're going to do a few slides to this, but this is the meat of it. How do we, there's a lot going on here. So let me kind of walk you through it. If you jump over to the left side of the slide, um, you see this idea of a marketing beta versus a marketing full release. Marketing beta, the way we defined it, and, and I still like this definition, is it's going to be kind of your internal customers. So phase one and phase two are all about existing customers. How do we market to these folks? How do we prove that this is actually a product or feature that people want and need? And then there's the idea of the marketing full release, phase three and phase four, where we can start getting into promoting or advertising in a paid fashion to prospect audiences. And it's just progressively getting bigger, you know, targeted prospects. It's going to be a smaller budget. It's going to be focused probably in digital media. And then as you go to broad prospects, you start talking to your audiences not in, in a much less targeted way one-to-many marketing channels. So then these columns, the relationship, targeted versus broad, rollout date, they just kind of define those phases a little bit more. Rollout date, I think, is important to keep in mind. It's something that helps drive, you know, ties together PMM and PM very cl closely. It's, it's you know, obviously the, the key moment where everything comes together and comms roll out. And so... You can see phase one and two, we had dates. We didn't know if this was going to be successful. So phase three and phase four, it was undecided whether we'd go ahead and, and launch this to prospects. And that's kind of the point of the phase marketing approach. Just to give a quick sense on how these four phases roll out across channels, 
this, you know, it, it's important, I think, to dissect these phases and show, yes, we're actually going to be doing more and more and more building as we go. And so the soft launch, we we did do PR soft launch. Sometimes there's a question, you know, with, with the initial launch, do you do PR or not? Or not? We knew that industry insiders would hear about this so we wanted to to grab the moment before it got um kind of spread widely so we did do pr with the with phase one we did email um this is an internal uh, i'm sorry a, a video launch to our to our existing customers and then our we had a, a landing page to be able to direct existing customers and then as you progress right you go maybe there's some digital remarketing that you do with your phase two launch but you're kind of um improving on those initial launch channels and then phase three you're getting into how do we actually do you know some of your engage some of our brand channels so own channels and then how do how do we maybe engage some paid social or paid search and then broadly what's your one-to-many marketing channels so getting into tv out of home radio kind of those more broad communication channels and then i think just another key piece this is always important to have have a calendar that this is really focused on the marketing side what are your what are your campaigns what are the things what are the ways that you're gonna gonna be talking to your customers already and are there ways to kind of grab onto those for your go to market and so you know i've separated it into brand campaigns these are content campaigns and then cultural moments you know things like halloween holidays maybe there's movie times or we had election season happening at the time and so this campaign just helps keep everything on track and and force functions a little bit your um, your go to market. Okay, so with that, I we're still in this number three, which is the the phased marketing approach. I just wanted to get go kind of blast through some creative and and results and show you how we moved from phase one to phase two, phase three. So these again are all the marketing channels. We we kind of just went through that a couple of slides ago, but this is you know how we progress through phase one and phase two. I lumped together as we're looking at results. So we had a, a pretty you know basic landing page, but just something to to you know you want to introduce what the feature you want to talk about why it's important. What are your RTBs again from your positioning and then depending you you probably have a how to this is just a how to section kind of on the tail end here so as a landing page we had a life cycle email that went out this was really you could see it was really focused on watch party and again we kind of got into rtbs and then how to so similar formula to the landing page we had links to the landing page from here and then we had these videos these launch videos that were just for internal customers just trying to highlight that you can be together and and talked through like the emotions that you can experience together so you see a, a screenshot of like this laugh together and we had a spanish language we had a big spanish speaking audience so kind of did both those things okay looking at results i like to to use the stop start continue framework phase one and two results were a bit mixed we had a huge pr event second largest pr event we'd ever had we reached to the seo spot in three days for our landing page. And then the ad that the internal ad was actually driving incremental survival, incremental role to pay. Hi, Romy. So this is just emphasizing that it's important to have measurement if as you're going to market. It's important to be able to, to have visibility into how you're performing. Stop. So that was continue doing, stop doing watch party standalone emails. That that email I showed actually performed below benchmark. 
So we had to figure out how we were going to iterate on that email and, and, and try something different. And then start, we wanted to go ahead. This was clear signals that we should go ahead and move into phase three of the four phase approach. So phase three, we get into targeted prospects, paid social ads. You know, we, we, again, kind of going back to that campaign calendar, we, we made, we did some tie-ins to some cultural moments like Halloween or host for the holidays down here. And then we also did just big content moments, big 10 and pack 12. Those are, you know, uh, sports focused campaigns. We had never green watch party campaign as well. And then we got, you know, we iterated on the email. So you can see here, watch party is no longer the hero up here, but an, a supporting benefit for this email. And so the hero is all about Thanksgiving. And then we get into your content that you can watch. And then it's like, oh, by the way, watch party is something that we have. So it's, it's a key supporting benefit of the brand rather than kind of the focus which I think was a good progression. We did the same for, you know, the ball drop and the New Year's. And then we also did some, you know, we had a influencer for sports that we we um, had him talk about Watch Party a bit. And then we did this fun kind of Halloween brand social post with our brand channel where it was, you know, forget 2020 host an 80s Halloween party, which was fun. And then we had these little games that people could print out. So really leaning in. Again, so phase three results. And and by the way, I'm only highlighting like a, a few key pieces of, of creative, but I think it paints the picture for you all. As we're at, you know, phase three, we did find find good success. And there was some, you know, stop, start, continue again. There, there was one piece. So tentpole paid advertising. We actually found 30% higher subscriber acquisition costs. We only spent $20,000 there. So that we just turned off. But the continue piece, we we found some other ways to um, to have paid campaigns. You know, this idea of host for the holidays that we really leaned into that had 34% lower subscriber acquisition costs than our evergreen campaigns. And we were able to scale that all the way up to 200,000 spend. So, you know, we were able to, to find success here. Evergreen campaign looked promising. Emails, that iteration that we made, we were actually able to start finding success with incrementality, incremental activations with those. And then all of that really gave us the steam to go ahead and, and move forward to phase four, which was broad awareness. And for us, that was gonna be a TV campaign for broad awareness. Before we did that, we did, you know, we were tracking experience. So product experience metrics. So again, product marketing got to be tied at the hip with product as you're chugging along this and, and seeing a lot of positive signals in terms of the experience and likelihood to watch again. So that again, gave us all the right inputs to say, yeah, let's go ahead and launch a TV campaign. TV is super, it, like you just start getting into way bigger dollars. So <laughs> I think that's kind of the, the big benefit of this phase marketing approach is you start to see if you have success before you go and produce a big TV spot. TV was new to me. So I just wanted a flash for those who have not done a TV campaign. It's a beast and it's different from other types of marketing. This is the Gantt chart I created just to show from the time of briefing agencies, all of the different you know, approvals and, and kind of concepts, approvals, getting through to budgets. And it was 18 weeks from the time of briefing all the way to the time that we were flighting the ad. And from the previous campaigns we did, that's like a pretty fast pace. Usually you have a bit more time. And just to get you a sense of budget, you know, it's gonna be about a million bucks probably to, if you're going to produce a TV ad. 
that you want to run on national television, you're going to, yeah, you're going to want to brief an agency and kind of go all in. And that, that gave us two spots that had a lot of different iterations in them. So really it was something like six spots, but two kind of core creative concepts. I did have these here. I kind of debated back and forth whether I should try and show them in the talk, but I'll leave it for if you're interested after you can find these, hit me up or hit Georgina up. But it was super fun. I loved how the creative kind of landed. And then again, for those who have not done TV advertising, I just want to show the goals of TV advertising are going to be very different from your social social campaigns, your paid, you know, your digital campaigns. So for, you know, we had four goals. One, this um, Ameritest is a company that will look qualitatively at your at your ads before you put them in market. And you're looking at this, at these ideas, these kind of branding ideas of attention, branding, motivation, um, likelihood to consider the brand after seeing the ad. And this is just a way, a gut check before you go and spend lots and lots of money on <laughs> national TV ads. And then in market goals, again, these were qualitative. So we want to do some brand linkage among those who recall the ad, percent who tie it back to the ad, interest, and then consideration, consider subscribing. So these all give you before, you know, it, it can take a while for TV results to actually come in. And these give you a sense of, is this going to be a success or not? And then uh, our third goal was iSpot. So that was our way. Uh, iSpot's a company that can help measure from people who are exposed to the ad, how many actually go and sign up. And you could get a more direct link there. And so um, site visit rate, sign up response rate, ad, ad interruption rate. That was our way of measuring the true, true success after this had been running for a while. And then you can do some behavioral metrics. So search and site traffic. These are things you could measure pretty quickly to see how your ads are doing. Results. It was a massive success. So with phase four, there was no stop start. We're kind of at the end of doing new things with the four phases, but continue. We ended up the total of around $9 million in media spend um, when I left. And it was performing 25% better subscriber acquisition costs than the previous campaign. And then we continued, you know, kind of all the successful initiative, all the successful tactics that we were doing from phases one, two, and three. And then continuing to integrate Watch Party into campaigns became our one of our key reasons to believe for the brand. Okay, so that kind of took us through the, the meat meat of the of the presentation. The last piece, you know, we got through one, two, three. Now number four, creating a product marketing function at your organization, kind of using a similar approach. So when I went, you know, after after Watch Party launched, and then I, I was working with my leadership on how we actually go and support product in a more robust way, kind of more consistently. This, you know, I created a long deck, but this was like the, the key slide. So we looked, I, I worked, I kind of got tied at the hip with product. And I laid out what are all of the key initiatives that are coming down the pipe for the next year and just created a, this calendar view. So you have, we had 11 key initiatives. What are the um, launches that we'll see associated with those and, um, and where throughout the year? And then um, if you look all the way on the left of this chart, tier one, tier two, tier three, those give you a sense of using the four phases that I went through before, which product launches are going to likely get all the way down to phase four and have a TV component, which product launches will just get to phase three, which ones will just be small phase one and phase two. 
So tier one were those big, you know, likely to have a TV element. Tier two would be just maybe getting into some paid marketing, but not not as as big. And then tier three would just be those kind of internal channels. And that's it. That's a wrap. So, oh, I, I <laughs> should say so using this using this framework, I was able to get my leadership to agree to uh, you know we we need a two head count to to basically drive all these different campaigns that would launch um, for these product launches coming down and work closely with product to to make these launches happen. Okay, so four four topics we covered, a framework for connecting business objectives to marketing executions, that's that big picture framework. How to use research to size, position, name your product's features, the four phase go-to-market approach to prove marketing value, reduce risk, and then applying those to create a product marketing function. And with that, I think I'm going to pass back to Georgina. That was awesome. I loved that. I loved all the uh, kind of creative examples too. I feel like it really grounds the, the strategies and approaches that you use. So thank you for so much generosity in sharing those. Folks, we are going to transition to asking and answering some questions here. So a number of you have already put questions in the QA box, but now is the time to put one there if you have one in mind. While you all are typing out some questions for our know, uh, I will tell you briefly about our next product chat conversation and topic. We'll be meeting on October 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern, as always. Uh, we're going to talk to Christopher Whittem, who is the product leader at Meta, uh, formerly Facebook, for a conversation all about measurement. Um, and so that's either, either daunting or delicious, depending on how your brain works, um, but absolutely essential no matter what project you're doing. So we're going to talk to him about how you can really remain consistent and on track all through your product life cycle. So um, Kelly will drop the link for the next webinar right in there for you um, that you can take a look at. Uh, Arno, to kick off our questions, there are a couple acronyms uh, that folks would love some definitions on. So we've got RTV, RTB, and OLV. Easy question. It's a it's a nice lob. Thanks. So RTB and RTV are the same thing. That's just me mispronouncing. So <laughs> reasons to believe RTB sometimes it's your customer value proposition CVP. It's just what is the you know know your audience. What do your customers care about? And 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 kind of summarize those into maybe one, two, or three key things that they actually care about with your product. OLV online video. So it's just a marketing channel. Yeah. YouTube or other marketing channel. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then another uh, kind of more uh, straightforward or maybe a, an easier question for you is everyone is very impressed with your calendaring and Gantt charts. So is there a particular calendaring tool that you use or have used or would suggest? Honestly, no, whatever is so the Gantt charting, I just use Excel because it's available everywhere. And I think you could create a pretty clean looking Gantt chart using Excel. It's not as good at managing the product. So if you have a product management tool, I would just lean into that. And calendaring the, that if we're talking, that was also Excel, I guess. <laughs> the last one um, I showed on how 
I, you know, the different tiers and how I proved that product marketing should be a function at, at the organization. That was actually just a, a, a product management tool that our organization was using. Again, I don't think I don't have a strong, like if you just get, have a sense of how to use a project management tool, you can create that same chart, I think in any one of the kind of standard versions. A utilitarian, you use what you got. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's let's dig in and and get a little meatier here. We have one question about: Would you suggest building campaigns around products or flipping it and building products around campaigns, especially with something like this? I mean, it depends on where marketing, where product marketing fits in the org, I think, and how how influential it has become with your product management team. I think in an early sense, usually you're going to be more reactive to what's happening with product. They probably have a, a set approach to, to how they find customer insights, how they find needs, and how they go ahead and create products for those. But what you can do as a product marketer is start to like just know the data like no other um, in terms of consumer insights, sit in on their user experience research sessions, get close to the design team, and then start to show, start to um, add value through, through, I mean, marketing owns positioning. So really focus on what the heck is our positioning and then how do you start to influence the roadmap? I think using positioning as a, as a way in, as a way to help the team judge if something should be created or not. I think best in class organization, the two teams are just tied together. And before, before a, a product is going to be prioritized, they're looking at, you know, product marketing already has a strong positioning framework and it's well bought in in the organization and you're helping them find the consumer insight that ties to where it fits in, in the positioning. Gotcha. There's one question here that is an advice-based question that I like a lot. And I think that you're going to like as well. So Jennifer recently joined a company and she took on a marketing role for a product launch that has a way more robust marketing re research initiative than she has worked with previously. And she's wondering, do you have any advice about when to ask what questions as you're kind of going through that marketing research work? I mean, my experience is usually you're going to have like, usually there'll be two different teams. There's the UX design or UX research team. And then there will be the consumer insights team that's going to look more broadly. And I think, you know, design, they might be asking a small set of customers earlier, and that could be a good time to, to start asking some simple questions. Consumer insights team, that's where you want to, like the slide that I built you want to get as many possible questions and there's probably going to be one study done, maybe two um, for the product launch. And so uh, I think it's important to get as many questions into that study as possible. So if you have a consumer insights team, you're working closely with them to ensure that all your questions are going to get answered. If you're running the study yourself, well, I think that's above, above my pay grade. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good advice. All right, pivoting into some KPIs. Folks are curious about uh, digging into the numbers. So do you have any kind of key KPIs that connect to each of the phases uh, that you walked through for go-to-market? Are there key things that you're looking for or you think would be widely applicable to folks who are or maybe are not in uh, TV? 
Uh, yeah, I think a lot of companies are moving to being subscription businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think that idea of knowing your CLV should come from your finance team, but then your subscriber acquisition cost is then what you're driving. And Mm -hmm. if, if your subscriber acquisition cost is below your CLV, then you're, you know, that feeds into your return on marketing investment. And that's really how I would report up to senior leadership. How, how is, what is our return on our marketing looking like? So subscriber acquisition costs, I think is a huge KPI. And then you're just looking at, you know, is this scalable? How much, how much spend can I actually put into this and still, still stay efficient in that subscriber acquisition costs? Mm-hmm. Smart. And then for, for folks that maybe do not renew um, or who rated the experience poorly, do you have kind of a fr- frame of reference on how often you follow up with them or the extent to which you follow up with those people and how do you balance using their critical feedback to improve the product um, versus I mean we talk about this at pragmatic as well the noisy 20 right so how do you how do you balance that how much do you talk to them how much influence does that have with the the way that you're structuring your go-to-market love that I, I particularly like the feedback loop idea I think staying really tuned in with those people that are leaving they're they're clearly having a, a challenge that maybe your happy customers are also experiencing but it's just mm-hmm. annoying enough that they're out of here so i'm all about like make sure you have that feedback loop and then bucket it so turn it into themes and figure out like there shouldn't be too many themes but try and bucket and and then you start to see if a certain bucket's growing a lot you're feeding that to your product teams and figuring out how you can address those even if it is the noisy 20, I think it's still helpful. And then re-engaging. I mean, we we were for, fortunate, I think, that we had a big enough audience that we can run A-B tests pretty con- like constantly. So we would just be all, you know, all the time launching new email series that would, um, there was always a win back element to the email series. And so we'd, we'd always be trying to get those customers back and we would just test and iterate. So I don't have, I mean, I guess as, as often as you can, that, that audience is, is, is prime for kind of winning back. Uh, and then you're just, you're just balancing it with unsubscribe rates and making sure you're not diminishing that, the size of that audience and annoying them. Gotcha. What's the max number of themes that you think are helpful and not just burdensome? Oh, geez. I mean, three is ideal, right? Just the law of three. But, you know, that's hard to do. I think once you get above five, it just starts becoming too much for a brain. Seven might be like max, max, max. Thinking about a different type of bucketing, someone has also asked a question about segmenting your target market and how you create specific messaging and positioning. So curious about how you did that. How did you segment your target market? And did you create specific messaging and positioning for each different key segment? Or did you kind of have a a larger approach? Very good question. And like, there's a lot of texts, texts, I think, in marketing and different, different opinions on how you should either get very targeted and segmented or you should have a mass awareness appeal. And I, I think my flavor is kind of in the middle. I think that segmenting is important, but the way that I think the most useful segmenting you do is around 
your audience's relationship with your company. So are they true prospects they've never experienced? Are they existing customers? Are they win back audience? Um, so they've left and and they're going. And then there might be, you know, in between we had like a cancel save type audience. I think that that simple business level segmentation allows you to have kind of nuanced messaging to to those different audiences and you can actually measure results um we yeah so that's that's my personal just belief is that your and then and then do you go and build messaging frameworks for each of those audiences i guess was the second part of that question i think if you find the key reasons to believe if you if you do your research well and you find the key reasons that customers care what need you're solving i think it's up to the creative team to find the nuance and, and tailor the messaging for each of those audiences. From a product marketing perspective, I think it's one messaging framework that's your that's your key, and and it could get longer, you know, based on if it's a longer form uh, creative channel that you're like if it's a blog, you might have a pretty long messaging framework. But really, it should have like core three core reasons to believe at, at, at the minimum. And yeah, I, I think it's really on the creative team to kind of build those nuances, leveraging that framework. Mm -hmm. I think this framework has has really resonated with a number of folks. Um, and it's actually a really great comment in the chat about how this has made someone realize how many connections there are between their industry and yours and, and kind of all of the, the interconnected spaces. There are a couple questions about how, what is your view on how this framework, your approach can be or should be adapted or modified if the business is B2B rather than a B2C? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, <laughs> probably and, a big, probably a big question. So some some bullet points are okay. Yes, uh, it is a big question. And at Zillow, you know, Zillow is a marketplace, so we're a B two B two C, and it's it gets very complicated, I guess. I think the you know the idea of phasing your marketing could still be very relevant. And, and how you can go to small audiences first and test out and sort of iterate before you go to bigger and bigger audiences. I think that still should hold true, but B2B obviously is, is you just have a much smaller set of people that you wanna go talk to. And so I think you have to be careful around how, how much you can go and talk and, and you can't just blast out as you do B2C because B2C like, Consumers are just used to getting a lot of messages and they can ignore if you did something silly. But if you're really trying to convince a B2B audience, I think, yeah, it's just a, a little more careful, a little more crafted. And um, and then the other piece I, I would say is how big are the partners you're looking at? If, if, you're, do, if you're running a more of an account-based marketing program, then I think it's a completely different animal. <laughs> if if you have huge accounts that you're trying to tackle, yeah, I would I, I would approach it in a different way personally. Like the idea still holds of let's be you know let's have this phased approach to be careful, but but the way you, yeah it's going to be a, like all your metrics are very different. Everything's very different from an ABM perspective. Mm -hmm. And what about, I mean, you know, B2B or B2C, what about reintroducing a product that was not properly rolled out? Do you think that this is a good framework or strategy that you could use to like, not 
not fix a boo-boo, but you know, maybe, maybe get a, get a fresh start on something that deserved a little bit more love than it received. Yes. There's so many times our products teams do awesome things and it just doesn't get the love. It doesn't get the attention. Absolutely. I think there's so, so many instances in my current role and my past role where things happen and, and how can you, how can you look back and think again, marketing owns positioning. So think about your overall positioning. How do these products fit in to what consumers really care about? And there could be huge misses that, that we, you know, that your team or in the organization, it just never got the attention it needed. And I think framing it back up into that positioning, overarching positioning framework helps couch everything correctly and, and helps as a marketer, you get a lot more sway. Audiences will listen. You know, your product audiences will listen. Product counterparts will listen. Yeah. All right. We have a couple wrap-up questions for you. These are also questions that you might designate as, as lobs or softballs. The first one is, have you found Three Floyd's beer in Denver? Do you know about Three Floyd's beer? Ah, I wish. No, um, it's an, yeah, it's, that's one of the beers that I showed at the beginning. It's Indiana based and no, that's, I found it in Chicago and Indiana and those are, those are the only places, unfortunately. Gotcha. One of my favorites though. Gotcha. Um, and then we have another beer based question for you. Um, last one, what is your favorite beer that you would recommend to product marketers or product managers uh, who are working through a really tricky challenge? What would you place on their desk with love and compassion? Oh, man. <laughs> I guess like another way to think about it, what would I just be so happy if somehow showed up on my desk? Um, yes. I think, you know, on it, I did, there's a reason I placed those two beers in, uh, in that, in that picture up front. I think the three Floyd zombie dust, oh my gosh, if I had a case of that, it would just be uh, heaven or, um, or Daisy cutter. If you're ever in Chicago hit up, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the brewery, but Daisy cutter is the name of the beer. It's my favorite, one of my all time favorite beers. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're getting some, uh, we're getting some other recommendations in the chat too. So as we are uh, wrapping up, if you've got a favorite beer that you would gift, gift with love to a fellow PM or PMM, uh, you can drop it in the chat for us. But with that, uh, thank you so much, Arno. I loved this. Um, again, I'm, I'm so blown away by the, the generosity of your thoughts and the open-handedness of your examples and all of the creative. I think this has made a really awesome impact for everybody today. So thank you so much for joining us. Sweet. Thanks, Regina. Thanks, y'all. All right, folks. Until next time. <laughs>